Good morning. I know this is kind of a strange way to start a sermon, but I'd like for you to, yeah, the kids can, can leave. That, that's cool. Go. Um, I'd like for you to picture in your mind what is the greatest temptation you struggle with? All over the room, all over our campuses, whoever is listening, if you could get in your mind right now, what's the temptation that you struggle with the most? No, strange way to start a sermon, right? And if you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm uncomfortable thinking about this, you know, it's a, I'm in church, it's a temptation, it's okay. You know, the person next to you is thinking the same thing. Actually, they're not thinking the same thing, but they're probably not. But they're thinking of one too if they're going along with me because everyone's tempted. We learned that two weeks ago when we launched this series. Everyone's tempted. Um, and so it, so it would be helpful for the sake of this sermon and what I believe God wants to do in you today. If you, everybody would just get in their mind, what is that temptation that you struggle with the most? Maybe something that you just did last night. Maybe it's already this morning. Maybe it's something that last week, all week you were, oh man, I was just wrestling with this. I'm fighting with this temptation. For most of us, it shouldn't be hard to name that temptation that we struggle with the most. We don't wanna tell other people about it necessarily, but if we're honest, it's right there. And aren't you glad, by the way, that nobody can read your mind right now? Aren't you, aren't you glad? You know, it's, it's all right in there. Nobody can see. Some of you are blushing. I don't want to think about that temptation. But the person next to you has a temptation too. And not only that, that every, everyone's temptation, even though it's, everyone has one, they're all different necessarily. You know, you have a different temptation than I do. The temptation that I struggle with, you may go, really? <laughs> You're tempted by that? I'm like, yeah. Or you may be tempted with something that I'm like, that's not a temptation for me. So not everyone's temptation is the same, but we learn from 1 Corinthians that everyone's temptation is common, meaning you don't have a unique temptation that is only you, that nobody else struggles with that. No, it's, the Bible says it's common to everybody. So get these three things in your mind. Everyone's tempted. Everyone's temptation is not the same, but we're, there's these common temptations that everybody has that from time to time and that somebody else has that you're wrestling with. So you're not alone. And as we walk through this series and talk about how do we fight temptation, I want you to be thinking today especially about that temptation that you struggle with the most and maybe even give into the most. Now, this is not gonna be a downer because let's, let's move from that to... Now that you have one in your mind, and I hope you all do, what do you think is the temptation that Jesus struggled with the most? Which is uncomfortable for some of you to think about. It's like, did, was Jesus really tempted in every way? Yeah, we learned that two weeks ago. He's tempted in every way just as we are. Jesus literally was tempted over and over and over and over again. What do you think, just in your own mind, what do you think was the greatest temptation that Jesus struggled with? And as you're thinking about that, turn with me to Luke chapter 4, because it might be in this famous passage that we've been in, in Luke chapter 4, and some people think it is. Other people read these temptations that Jesus was in. They're like, really? That's, that's not that big of a temptation. I, can, I, I don't see why that's you know, a big deal. But we'll talk about that. So when you find Luke chapter 4, stand with me. 
And I'm, I'm going to um, read out of the ESV, English Standard Version today. So if you've got the NIV, you can follow along. But up on the screen here, I have the ESV. And uh, last week, Pastor Charlie did a great job of covering the first temptation that Christ is, you know, talks about here that is, it describes what he was going through. Now we're doing the second one. We're in verse 5. The devil took him, that's Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, like just like a video, bam, flash, and said to him, to you, it's an emphasis, to you, I will give all this authority in these kingdoms and all of their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I want, whoever I will. If you then, Jesus, will simply worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written. That is, in the Bible, it says, in scriptures, in Deuteronomy, it says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Okay, you, you may be seated. And some of you are like, really? Um, is, if Satan came to Jesus, how, and, and, and realized it was Satan, I mean, how hard would it be to go, you know, I'm not going to worship you. You're you're the arch enemy. It, it's, it's, was it really that hard of a temptation? And if it, if it was, it, it wouldn't be a temptation for me if Satan showed up and I saw it was him and, you know, and he spoke to me and I knew it was him and there's no indication here that Jesus didn't know it was Satan. If I knew it was Satan, I wouldn't give in to that. I don't see how this is relevant to me I'm not going to worship Satan. That's just not the temptation I struggle with. Okay, okay. Write this down. In every temptation, there is a bigger picture than you can see. In every temptation, there is a greater danger than what you can see. So if I can step on your toes early in the sermon, you're a fool to read this and go, I wouldn't be tempted by that. That's not a big deal. That's not something that I wrestle with. It, maybe, maybe Satan hasn't come to you, and he hasn't come to me either, and showed up and said, worship me and I'll give you this. But remember this. We're going to talk about this throughout the sermon. In every temptation, the three temptations that Luke records for us here in Luke 4, Every temptation that Jesus went through, every temptation you've ever gone through, and every temptation you will go through, in every temptation, there is a bigger picture and a greater danger, look at this phrase now, than you can see. Because see, that's, that's the whole idea. If you could see the effects of your giving into this temptation, it, it wouldn't be that difficult. You know, we're all familiar, aren't we, with the, the domino effect that when, if you set up, I know this is going to be hard for you to see, but hang in there, it's all right. If, if you set up some dominoes, we all know that if you hit this one, you know, it's going to knock over. See, but if, imagine one of these whole domino trails that you can't see the end of 
the domino line. So you think to yourself, it's just one domino. It's not that big of a deal. You hit it. That one domino is the temptation. You give in to it, and you can't see the end result. And since you can't see it, you're like, you know, what's the big deal? This is the same thing as true with our temptation. We all have a dream that we have for our life. Maybe it's the abundant life. Let this red balloon represent the abundant life. Or, or let this red balloon represent the, the, the dream you have for your marriage, that it would be a great marriage, that it would be a flourishing marriage. Or let this dream, let this balloon represent a dream that you have for your children. You, you want your children to love God. You want your children to to, be, to grow up and be mature, to, to honor God. You, you know, whatever your dream you have for, for yourself, for your marriage, for your children, for your life, you want that abundant life that we've been talking about the last couple weeks. This red balloon represents that dream, that God-honoring dream. And see, what we don't see is the domino effect of how when I give into that small temptation, when I don't realize the bigger picture, when I don't see the greater danger, I don't realize that that temptation is gonna pop that balloon. That giving into that temptation, the, the, the domino effect, and it might be days, it might be years, you don't see the effect of giving into that one temptation. And since you don't see it, you don't think it's that big of a deal. Nobody goes into a marriage and goes, my goal in this marriage is to trash my spouse. I wonder how long it takes me before I can just, I mean, I'm going to making these vows, but I have no intention of keeping them. I, I want to trash or, or no one has a child and says, my goal is to live my life in such a way that it wounds my child so deeply, that it scars my child so deeply, that I damage them forever and set them up for a life of misery. <laughs> Nobody does that. But see, we don't realize the domino effect of that one sin, that one decision, and where that domino effect. And, and I believe if we could see it, if we could see, as I'm standing in the face of this temptation right now, if we could see, oh, wow, that's going to lead to the trashing of my marriage. I'm not going to do it. Oh, if I could see, that's going to ruin my kid that I love so much. I, I mean, that's enough motivation. I wouldn't do it. But that's the point. In every temptation, there's a bigger, bigger picture and a greater danger, greater danger that, than what you can see. And in our passage today, it is a window into the bigger picture and the greater danger. So let me just have a little bit of fun with the old Rube Goldberg machine and slow motion the dominoes that sets off the eventual popping of the red balloon, the dream that you have for your marriage, the dream that you have for your, your life, the dream that you have for your family, for your children, destroyed because of that one temptation that led to another, 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 a decision that led to another decision and the long-term domino effect. And what I want to help you see today is while you can't see into the future, 
you know in every temptation, there is a bigger picture. God, help us to see this. In every temptation, big or small, significant or seemingly insignificant, there's a bigger picture. There's a greater danger than what you can see. And maybe this is why Jesus said to his disciples over and over and over and over, watch out, watch, watch for this deception. Open your eyes, pay attention. He said it over and over again. Because you realize when Jesus is warning his disciples, temptation is a discipleship issue. All of Luke is about discipleship, but this whole story, how did we get the story in the gospel of Luke about the temptation of Jesus? There was nobody else there but Jesus and Satan and God. How how did we get to this story? And I I don't know the answer to it, but I, I imagine it's one of two things. Either Jesus says to his disciples one day, guys, I want to talk to you about temptation. You know, I've been tempted. What, you, Jesus? And he tells this story to to the disciples. And Matthew is there, hears it, writes it down, and then Luke later would learn it from Matthew. Jesus is teaching his disciples about temptation because temptation is a discipleship issue. Either that or the disciples came to Jesus like in Luke 11 when they said they saw Jesus praying and they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray like that. You know, we want to be your disciples. We want to follow you. We want to learn from you. We want to become more like you. Teach us to pray like that. We want to follow you. We want to learn from you. We want to become more like you. Teach us how to deal with temptation. So to me, it's either one of those things. Either Jesus initiated it by teaching, telling the story, or the disciples initiated by Jesus. Tell us how to do this. But for whatever reason, the story is here. And this is such a central issue. Here's just a couple of the verses. There's a ton of them. You know, in um, Luke chapter 21, Jesus says to his disciples, watch out that you are not deceived. Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard. Mark 14, 38, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then just the kind of the general summary, I say to everyone, watch. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna watch What's happening in this text? And if you've got your notes, there's, there's gonna be a lot of goodies to write down. And we're gonna do what Jesus told us to do as followers of him, as disciples. And we're gonna watch. First of all, we're gonna watch out. Jesus says, watch out that you're not deceived. Well, Satan is the great deceiver. So what I wanna help us see in this bigger picture, in this greater danger, is to watch what Satan does as he's tempting Jesus, because it's really similar to the way that he tempts you. So let's go back to this text. And it says, the devil took him. Let's just highlight that. This is one of the first things that the devil will try to do. He'll try to take you someplace um, in your mind. People have wondered, this text here, did, you know, how did Jesus get taken by by Satan? It says in Matthew, they took him up to a high mountain and showed him all the, the kings of the world. Well, that's honestly, and some people have said this is not a realistic story because there is no mountain, even if you were to stick Mount Everest somewhere in the Mediterranean world, there's no mountain that's high enough where you can see, you know, all the, the then known Roman empire. You have to, it's just, it's not a high enough place. So I thought to myself, well, why does it, it doesn't say that he showed, he, he took him to, 
a high, Luke doesn't say it took him to a high place on earth. Why not, you know, lifting him above the earth? Or, or maybe it's just in his mind. Maybe Satan is, is playing a video. Maybe he's tapping into technology that hasn't been invented yet. And he's, he's showing him a video in Jesus' mind. He's, he's giving him a vision because Satan can do this. He can get into our minds and tempt us with a vision, with a, something that could happen. In fact, that's where a lot of temptations you know, get lost is this vision of, oh, ooh, I could be with this person or this vision, I could have this car. And this, this, I, we, we, something happens in our mind. There's a video playing. So Satan takes Jesus to this vision or takes him to this place and then watch and showed him. That's why I think it might be a vision. But whether it's he literally physically took him to a place where he could look out over the kingdoms or whether it's something in his mind, I know what it's like, and you do too, to have an, an image in my mind that Satan is showing me that I could be experiencing this. And so that's the second thing Satan does is that he, he tries to take us to some place and then show us something. It's so fascinating. What's the next thing he does to Jesus? And said to him, boom, write that down. Satan will try to take you someplace he will try to show you something that you really, really want, and then he will say to you what? I will give you all of this. What, what, what is that? That's a promise. So, so let's unpack this. Satan tries to take you someplace, tries to show you something. He tries to say something to you to promise you that's the heart and soul of temptation. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, that's the heart and soul of advertising, <laughs> isn't it? You know, you're sitting there, you know, watching a football game or a basketball game, and all of a sudden, you know, the, 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 people, the people who are the directors of the TV show take you by virtue of the fact that you're stuck there in the Lazy Boy watching TV. They take you to this image, of you know you out on the mountains or you out in uh, in this bar or you in this place and you're like oh you know suddenly you're brought to all the sounds and all the excitement and of something that you might want and then you're shown you know the happy people who are drinking that beer the happy people who are doing what they shouldn't be doing and he, he says to you a promise this could be you you could be happy if you would just dump this person that you're married to and you've been married to and go after that one. Let me just show you to her. Ooh, she's beautiful. You could be happy you're stuck with this person. Or reverse genders. It's, you know, it's, it's the wife who sees the guy who's successful, sees the guy and compares him to her husband. like, wow, he's kind of a little paunchy. He doesn't, he's lost losing his hair. And I want, I want to trade him in a new model. You know, you know he's... He, Satan shows us something or that dress or that car or that tool or that another phone or whatever it is that he shows us. He takes us someplace, shows us and says, that can be yours. And if you had that, then, boy, you could put these troubles behind. Then you'd be happy. It's a, it's a promise. Never mind that what Satan is doing is lying to you because he hasn't been given everything. He has been given a little bit of power and authority, but it's gone to his head. And, and he's self-deceived. And he can't give Jesus everything that he's promising he can give him. But that's what he says to you too. He can't give you abundant life. 
You know this, right? Satan can't make you happy. He can't give you eternal life. He can't give you abundant life. He can't make your life flourish. He can't make your marriage flourish. He can make you feel good. He can give you pleasure for a moment, but it's fleeting. Satan lies to you. Jesus says in John 8, 44, that Satan always lies because he's the father of lies. And yet, we know that Satan is a liar. And yet we give in over and over and over again to the lie. Why? Because he's really good at what he does. When he takes you to that place, when he shows you, when he whispers, when he promises to you, it's smooth. It's, he's, he's really good. And that's why we give in Time after time after time, we're buying the lie. We're sucked into the process. And my hope is that as, as we see this process, we can go, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I see what's going on here. You're trying to take me someplace. You're trying to show me something. You're trying to speak to me, say to me. You're trying to promise to me some sort of success, some sort of out, good outcome. I, I know better than that. I know now that there's a greater danger than what I can see. And by giving into this temptation, there's a bigger picture going on here than what I can see. I, that's what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do in this sermon, is to help us see as we look at the temptation of Jesus and realize this is the way temptations go, to equip you, to give you the tools to be able to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. In every temptation, there's a bigger, there's a bigger picture than I can see. There's a greater danger. There's a domino effect. I can't see the end. I can't see the outcome, but I know it's bad. There's never in the history of the world, never in the history of the world has there been a good outcome by, because someone tipped the first domino and gave in to temptation. Let that sink in. It's never happened. The very nature of temptation, the very nature of sin is that it leads to destruction. It damages, it destroys and Satan is not going to talk about that. If you kind of wrap all this up, he's basically saying, hey, whatever you've dreamed of most, Jesus, I'll give it to you. It will all be yours. The odd thing about this is that Jesus does have all authority, right? He is going to be the conquering king, he is king of kings and lord of lords. But right now, he's starving in the desert. He's hungry. He's weak. Jesus is weak because he's fully human. He's, he's about as weak as he can be. And in this weakened state, Satan lies to him and tries to say to him, I will give you everything you want. It will all be yours. So, so do you see this pattern in your own life? Let me summarize it one more time by saying all these things that actually don't look that bad to realize that what Satan is doing with all these is he is trying to attack you. Remember how I said two weeks ago when I started this series how he's not, he can't take your physical life, so he tries to destroy your abundant life. He is attacking God the Father. He is attacking you by saying, 
all this stuff that God says, oh, oh don't, don't do that. That's just going to damage your marriage. Don't, don't do that. That's just going to destroy your relationships. I know right now it looks like pleasure, and it might even be pleasure for another couple of weeks or months or maybe even years, but there, there is a bite to this. The balloon will be popped. This will lead to destruction. It's just a matter of time. But he ain't going to tell you that. I just said ain't. He's not going to tell you that. He's going to promise you. He's going to lie to you. And these words of I will give you all this. I will give you all the kingdoms, Jesus. I will give you all the glory. It will all be yours. And there's another person who has promised and who has delivered to Jesus all authority, all glory. Who is that? Who's, who, God the Father, right? He's the one who has promised. He is the one who has begun to deliver and will even do more. All authority. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, at the, at the end of Matthew, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. How fascinating. Satan uses almost the exact phrases to tempt Jesus and you think to yourself, well, that, that, that can't be much of a temptation if all this authority had been given to Jesus. Well, one of the reasons that Jesus is saying this is because in Matthew 28, it's after the cross. It's after the resurrection. In other words, in Luke chapter 4, it's before the cross. And what Satan is saying is, wait, you don't have to go through all that pain. You don't have to go through all that suffering. You don't have to do that long God's plan for your life. Just take this shortcut. It's so subtle. You know what this temptation is. Take this shortcut. You don't have to do what everybody else does. You don't have to do what Pastor Jim says. You don't have to do what the Bible says. You don't have to do what God says. Do your own thing. You can find your own way. There's a shortcut here. And if you take it, no one will see. I can't help but believe that that's one of the temptations that Satan gave to Jesus was, Jesus, look around. Did you see any video cameras? Do you see any disciples? It's just you and me out here, baby. No one's going to see this. Just bow the knee. Come on, just bow the knee. I mean, it doesn't even have to be fast. Just quick. Just quickly bow the knee. Just worship me. No one will ever know. And Satan would have been right to a point. No one could see right now. No one would know immediately. <laughs> but the father would know. He instantly would know, Jesus, you just broke the eternal intimacy between the father and the son. You, you, you see this. The eternal nature of the Trinity from eternity past, God the father, and God the Son have had this intimate perichoresis, the, the word it means, this intimate dance, this, this intimate connection and relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if Jesus had sinned one time, it would have been broken. Not a big sin, not a bunch of sin, one sin. In other words, what Satan is doing here is he is attacking the intimate relationship between Jesus and his Father. Remember I said at the beginning of the sermon, there's a bigger picture and a greater danger. That's it right there. That danger 
of breaking the intimacy, of popping the balloon. Let me just do that so it's nice and loud for us. Of, of popping the balloon. Well, it wasn't very loud. Rats. <laughs> I only have a couple of balloons. Uh, of, of, the, of the dream, of the vision, of the plan, of, of God's heart that there would be an intimacy between the Father and the Son for eternity. And in one moment, one sin, one giving in, but nobody else could see, the dream is destroyed. The intimacy, that, that connection with the Father that you understand, don't you, is the whole basis for your salvation and mine. Do you realize that in this moment, in any moment where Satan was tempting Jesus, your salvation was hanging in the balance? Do you see that? Just one time, and Jesus cannot be your savior. He does not have the ability to save you because he's a sinner. He is not the perfect lamb of God. He's just like you and me. He's a sinner, and his death does not atone for sin. His death does not provide forgiveness of sin. His death is just like your death or my death. It's meaningless in the cosmic picture of salvation. That's the bigger picture. That's the greater danger. But does Satan say that? Oh, heck no. Does Jesus see that? I believe he did because he can see the future. He realized the stakes were higher than just getting a piece of something to eat and just bowing the knee quickly because the stakes are always higher. Aren't you glad today that when Jesus was in the desert fighting the temptations of the devil, fighting for his life, he was fighting for your life. And aren't you glad he won? Come on. Aren't you glad he didn't give in to that temptation? See, the bigger picture affects you. I am here today saved by the blood of Jesus Christ because he did not give in to that temptation. He fought for me and you. He somehow saw the bigger picture. And Jesus was fighting for your life. So, so let's, let's watch. We talked about this two weeks ago. We talked about it last week. Let's watch what Jesus does. And, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we spent time the last two weeks. Jesus answered, it is written. We showed this three times, or as the New Living Translation says, Jesus replied, the scriptures say, what did Jesus do? He fought this battle for you and for me and for himself with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So I, don't, I can't improve on what I said two weeks ago. That's the weapon Jesus uses. That's the weapon you must use. But you can't use this powerful weapon that destroys strongholds, that silences Satan, that puts him in his place. You can't use the word as the sword of the Spirit, if you don't know the word. That's so simple. This is why we talk, and sometimes for people, it's added, you know, ad nauseum. This is why we talk so much about your daily time with God. 
This is why it's so important. This is why we don't treat the Bible or treat a sermon or treat a Bible study like some little Christian nugget. I just need a little nugget from Jim. I just need a little nugget from the Word of God in the morning. No, friends, get in the Word every day and, and pray the Word. Meditate on the Word of God. You want to know the Word, not just know a couple verses here and there. Don't treat the Bible like some magic pill. If I just keep that little verse in my mind, then, you know, whenever I'm tempted, I'll pull that verse out. That's what it looks like. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what I'm saying. We're talking about knowing the word. When Jesus was tempted, he didn't pull out of his holster just some little Bible verse like a bullet. He knew the word. And notice that the three places that Jesus quoted from in Deuteronomy, none of those are temptation scenes. There's no place in the Bible where God says, if you're ever tempted in the wilderness to eat, uh, to turn stones into bread, do this. If you're ever in the wilderness and Satan says, bow down and worship me, do this. If you're ever in this situation, no, the, the Bible's not like that. It doesn't give you, scenario, you know, all these scenarios that if you just remember all the scenarios, you're good. No, friends, you have to be a student of the Bible. You must know the Bible. And you say, well, Jim, I, I, I'm a, I got a full-time job. I, I got children at home. I, I don't have time to learn the Bible like you. And I certainly don't have time to study the Bible like Jesus. I mean, I'm just a regular person who's trying to raise a family and work a job. I, I get that. You won't know the Bible in five minutes or uh, take, take your whole vacation and just study the Bible, you know, 10 hours a day. No, it's a, it's a life time of you daily reading the word, getting before God and saying, Lord, open this word for me. This is, this is the vision I've been trying to cast to you all these years, that you take seriously the power of the word of God and you stop treating it like a magic charm, and just pulling a verse out. No, you've got to spend your life reading, memorizing, studying, knowing the word. And if that discourages you, don't be discouraged. You have a whole lifetime to do that. And if you will give yourself to that, you will become strong in the Lord. You will know God's word and you will know God. And in the hour of temptation, God will show you a way out and you will see it because you know God. You know his word. You know his faithfulness. But if you ignore that, if you think that by hearing a sermon once a week, if you heard Jesus preach every week, it wouldn't be enough. A sermon is not enough. You must take responsibility to feed yourself in the word of God because you can't use the word if you don't know it. Am, am I, is that clear? This is like one of the themes of my whole ministry the power of the word of God. So as we watch what Jesus do, does, we can do the same thing. We can see the word change our desires. We can see the word um, come to life in our life. We can see how God uses his word. How does a young man or a young woman keep the way pure by by taking heed to the word of God by, by living according to the word. We were learning that memory verse. 
The word of God is powerful. Jesus used the word because he knew the word. Your only hope is if you learn the word and then use it when you're being tempted. Knowing that that bigger picture that we talked about, so let's finish talking about that. There's a greater danger, there's a bigger picture. What is the bigger picture? Because when you're tempted, I don't want to offend you here, but yes, I do. When you're tempted, it's not really about you. Remember when I said two weeks ago that when you're tempted, Satan is actually attacking God by attacking his kids. The bigger issue is the character of God. The bigger picture is the character of God. This is the way it's been from the very first temptation. Who can remember what Satan said to Adam and Eve in the very first temptation recorded in the Bible? Wasn't it something like this? Did God really say, remember? First book of the Bible. Did God really say, what is that? That's an attack on the character of God. Satan is trying to get Eve and Adam to not trust God. That's the issue. That's the bigger picture. Will you trust God's character, God's faithfulness, God's promises, God's commands, God's dream for you? Will you trust his character or will you say, I don't want to have to go through all that. I don't know that I really want what you want. I want my own life. Sounds like it's a lot more fun. Will you trust that the abundant life comes through Jesus Christ, that God will get it to you, and you will find it no other way? Certainly not by obeying Satan, certainly not by giving into his temptations, and certainly not by doing your own thing. Remember how he said that, that Satan's a temptation is, is an attack on Jesus' relationship up in point two or one, whatever I said that? Now notice, in response to that, Jesus' response is an affirmation of his relationship with the Father. He is saying, I trust you, Father. I, I believe in your character. And so when he quotes from Deuteronomy, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. Not Satan, not some American dream, not some idea you have. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve, and only him shall you serve. This idea that, that God alone is to be worshiped. And what Jesus was doing was he was affirming, I trust you, God. I believe in your vision. I want to follow your plan. And when you do that, that worship deepens. See, the, see the very connection that Satan is trying to break, the very relationship he is trying to attack, it actually is deepened when you obey God, when you do not give in to temptation. Because the biggest picture of all in every temptation, there's a bigger picture and there's a greater danger. The biggest picture of all is what this temptation is all about. And that is, who will you worship? And Jesus chose to worship the Father. See, that's the bigger picture. So Satan may not come and probably, especially after this sermon, probably won't come to you someday and go, hey, fill in the blank, your name. If you'll just bow your knee right here in the bedroom, if you'll just bow your knee out here 
you know, uh, on the driveway, if you just bow your knee at wherever he's tempting you and worship me, I'll give you whatever you want. It's probably not going to happen. But don't you realize that the majority of the temptations you're in, the bigger picture is about the character of God and what and who you will worship. Because everyone worships something. The question is not, will you worship? The question is, who or what will you worship? And if Satan can get you to worship the American dream, if Satan can get you to worship your children, if Satan can get you to worship the almighty dollar, I shouldn't even say almighty, it's not. If Satan can tempt you to sell your soul for this series of temptations, then he has got his fingers, he's got his claws into you, and you are living, you are making the center of your life that situation, that sin, that, that child, that dream. You've moved your worship. Because you can't, Jesus said, you can't worship, you can't serve God and money. It's exclusive. When you worship God, you either worship him all the way, you either only worship him or you're trying to blend worship with him and somebody else, and then you're not really worshiping God. He says, worship him alone. You're like, well, I'm not even sure what worship is. Well, let me help you see what it's not. Worship is not music. Worship is not singing worship songs to God. That's a way of worshiping, but it's a very small way. You're like, really? Yeah. Your whole life should be a life of worship. Sunday morning, singing your worship to God should be an illustration of your life. It should be an example to gather with other people in the worship, but that is not your, the sum total of your worship. What is worship? Worship is, is responding to God. Worshiping God is responding out of love and loyalty to him alone. So when you Give money to God. That's an act of worship. When you give money to another person because they're hurting, because to, uh, to bless them, that's you're worshiping God's. You're worshiping God by surrendering your finances. When when you um, help somebody, maybe it's not financially, maybe it's some other way. Jesus says, "When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me." When you love someone, it's an act of worship. When you choose to not give in to temptation, that's an act of worship to God. There are multiple ways of worshiping God that are just all over the place. That's why Paul said, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, don't do it for the glory of yourself. Realize that there are thousands of ways to worship. So yes, Raise your hands in a couple minutes and worship God. Come back next week and worship God in song. But don't think that that's the, that's the sum total of your worship. See, actually, worship is a choice that I'm constantly faced with, which is why I love over and over again in the Psalms. I'll show you one example of, of so many this idea of a choice. Notice how David says, I will, Psalm 138, 1-2. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will. I'm choosing to. And I don't know the exact setting that David's in in Psalm 138, but I see the choice that he's making. 
I will bow down. I will praise. I choose to worship you, God, not all of these false gods, not all these American dreams, not all these things that, that other people want me to worship. I will worship God alone. I will, and notice these, I will. I will praise you. I will sing your praise. I will bow down. These, these I wills are now followed by this act of worship that I am going to surrender all of myself to you. I'm going to live a life of worship to God and God alone. You alone I will worship. Actually, do you see that this whole passage in Luke chapter 4, <laughs> this whole story is helping us see that in, in reality, we are being tempted to worship all the time. It's not just in the desert that Jesus was tempted to worship. It's not just this day or these 40 days. His whole life, he was being tempted. Here's the bigger picture that, that none of us can see. Your whole life, you are being tempted. This story, this passage suddenly becomes uber relevant. The rest of this day, you will be tempted to worship. So many different things in your life. And you know what they are. Now that your eyes are more open, you can realize, oh my gosh, these are not simply choices that I have to make. These are choices of worship. What and who will I make the center of my life? Actually, worship is the central issue of life. All of life is about worship but it's not depicted that way. It's not described that way. So we think I'm just choosing to get some chocolate ice cream. I'm just choosing to spend my money this way. I'm just choosing to watch that on Netflix. I'm just choosing to watch that on an, an illicit website. I'm just choosing to, to follow this path. I'm just choosing to take one little step into pornography. No, no, no. That's, a, that's an act of worship. Your life is an act of worship. You were made to glorify God, to worship God. That's why you exist. What is the chief end of, of a human being? To worship God and enjoy him forever. And our story, our lives, unfortunately, are one decision after another of us choosing to make something else the center, to worship something else. And for most of us in America, it's success, it's money, it's stuff. And that's what we worship. And we're fools to think that worship is only something that happens in Sunday morning in a church. It is the issue of life. And that's why this passage is so relevant to us. And may we never forget what Jesus said. It is written. Worship the Lord. Amen? Your God, because there's only one, and serve him. Everybody say this word with me. Oh, oh God, may the words of Jesus ring in our ears. Maybe, may the story, may the, the, this passage that we're looking at today, the, the, the life of Jesus 
ring in our ears and play in our minds that we would live a life of worship to you. That you would give us the vision to see that in every temptation there's a bigger picture. It's the picture of worship. In every temptation there's a greater danger. It's idolatry. And while we can't see it every time, we know the bigger picture, the greater danger. Holy Spirit, would you give us the ability to extend what we're going to sing right now into Sunday afternoon, into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this week, next week, next month, next year, for the rest of our life, that I will worship you, God. I will bow down before you. You alone I long to worship, and I will live my one and only life for you as an act of worship. God, as we stand to our feet, let's all stand to our feet. As we stand to our feet and sing these words, may they be a theme for us. Again, as we extend these words from beyond today, may they be the words that capture our heart's soul. I will bow down. I will worship you with all my heart, with all my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.